Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome back to this special edition of the Corner Kick podcast. It is Champions League quarter final draw day, and we're going to break down our immediate reactions following the draw that just took place. And I am joined by a man who did not have his hand in a bowl picking up some balls (laughs) in Switzerland. It is Caleb Rhodes. Yes. Neither hot balls nor cold cold balls. In fact, for Barcelona, no balls at all. Um, But yes, I'm here and excited to talk about what I think is one of the more promising Champions League draws we've seen in a long time. Right. Yeah. So I, I would agree. I think this draw, I think there was no, aside from like maybe Chelsea Porto, every single tie in this quarterfinal draw is a glamour tie to some degree. You know, we can we can begin by talking about them in the order in which they were drawn. So let's start with Borussia Dortmund and Manchester City. Caleb, this is not only Erling Holland playing the club that he seems to have supported his entire life, especially considering the connection with his dad. But I think if you're Borussia Dortmund, this is probably, <laughs> aside from Bayern Munich, the last draw you wanted in this uh, in this quarterfinal stage. Oh, yeah. I mean, Dortmund are going to face Man City, who I think have to be considered one of the two favorites. I think this is a massive game, though, for all of those Dortmund players like Sancho, like Holland, that might be starting to angle for a move. As you mentioned, Holland has like a personal connection to City because his dad played, I think, about 50 games for them way back when. And Jaden Sancho, of course, you know, started in the city youth system, although he never played a first team match. So this is a bit of a homecoming for some of the players. And I think an opportunity for just like a really exciting game. I think for those attacking players playing against the city defense, which has been the best in Europe, it will be really interesting to see how Holland does against, you know, the best defense he probably will have faced in his career thus far. And I think it'll also be interesting to see how Pep Guardiola sets his team up to defend Erling Holland and Jaden Sancho. I think this is probably one of the deadliest attackers that they've faced all season. I think, you know, there's been a lack of consistency from the big attackers in the Premier League somewhat this season. And so I think facing someone like Erling Holland will be a real test for this, you know, rejigged city defense somewhat under Guardiola. Oh, yeah. I was also just going to say, like, This is by no means, I think, a given for Manchester City. I mean, since Guardiola has taken over, they have failed at the essential moments in the Champions League for two or three years running now, last year being their rather embarrassing loss to Lyon. You know, it's interesting because against Mourinho Gladbach in the round of 16, Guardiola played that strikerless formation um, in the second leg, and and Mourinho Gladbach, even over Twitter, made fun of it a little, but it seemed to work. So I think it will be interesting to see how Guardiola approaches this game tactically because I think Dortmund are a very strong attacking team, much better than Leon, I would say. Um, and also Guardiola has a tendency to shoot himself in the foot by, by overcomplicating things in the later rounds of the Champions League. And 
this is the best chance I think he's probably had since leaving Barcelona to sort of lay his hands back on this Champions League trophy. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And we'll get to his path to the final potentially because he will have to go through, if he beats, or if Manchester City beat Borussia Dortmund, they will have to go through the winner of Bayern Munich and PSG. And let's just segue right into that tie, Caleb. This is probably the glamour tie of the round. And then if we end up getting the Bayern Man City semifinal, then I think a lot of that, that is the tie that I think a lot of people want. And certainly, I think <laughs> we'll want Bruce Dortmund and PSG to be swept aside. But I think PSG could cause a little havoc for a Bayern Munich team that has conceded a few amount of, of goals from defending with their high line this season. Yeah, I mean, Bayern's defense, which normally when we talk about Bayern's defense, we're like, they just don't concede. I mean, I feel like Neuer ends many seasons with more clean sheets than than goals conceded probably not quite literally but but you know in spirit this year though they are just an utter disaster I don't think they really know who their top center back pairing is whether it's Nicholas Zula and Boateng whether it's Zula and Alaba whether it's Boateng and Alaba whether Lucas Hernandez is a center back whether Lucas Hernandez is a left back whether Alfonso Davies who I think maybe has Regressed is too strong a word, but certainly hasn't, you know, kicked on into another gear this year and perhaps is playing slightly more complacently. I I think there are huge questions over the Bayern defense. Meanwhile, PSG have a pretty solid defense, but most importantly, I mean, like I think Neymar and Mbappe and Icardi and Di Maria and even Jillian Draxler, et cetera, et cetera, Moise Keane will be like licking their lips at facing a Bayern defense that last year they couldn't get past in the final. But this year seems like the question is not if they'll score, but the question is how many will they score? Right. And I think this is clearly Maurizio Pochettino's biggest test since he joined the club. He was brought in not only to consolidate their form in Ligue 1, which has been shaky in the past month or so, but I think in Europe he has gotten the job done, even though that second leg against Barcelona has was a little a little hmm, so-so at times. But I definitely think that, that PSG have the ability to get through Bayern Munich here. It's it's whether or not they'll be able to perform over two legs. That is the big question for me. Yeah, and I think, you know, after reaching the final last year and getting so close to kind of achieving the PSG project, I think this year, if they go out in the quarterfinals against the same opposition that beat them in the final, it will you know, only intensify the questions that hang over those players like Mbappe and Neymar about their futures. So I think this has the potential to be like an incredibly important tie for them, not just you know, sporting-wise, but also just in terms of their personnel, way more so than Bayern, who I think you know, if they lose, they'll be a little disappointed um, but in a lot of ways, this has been a bit of a more like mediocre, you know, second campaign for Flick. Yeah, I think certainly defensively, and it'll be interesting to see how it, it all shakes out against PSG and what PSG will be able to do. Aside from Liverpool Football Club, the only team that's conceded more goals from defending with the high line has been Bayern Munich. So they'll certainly have to find a way to consolidate that against Mbappe and Neymar. And Neymar you know, coming off of that injury, we know he's been training. He didn't play in the Barcelona match. However, I think he will be fit and ready to go 
for this rematch. Speaking of rematches, Caleb, <laughs> yeah, I just will say, from a fan perspective, I woke up this morning, and I would never have said it out loud, but as a Liverpool fan, this is the tie that I wanted. I wanted. I'm not. I'm not a big revenge guy. I don't think revenge really looks good on anyone. However, I will say this time, I did want some revenge. It is Liverpool versus Real Madrid, a rematch of that epic, for all the wrong reasons, 2018 Champions League final clash, the Loris Carrius final, some have dubbed it. (laughs) I think both of these teams are European juggernauts. They are Champions League royalty, multi-time winners of the competition. Uh, Perhaps, you know, coming into this tie on wobbly legs, both of these teams, both sides have suffered a lot of injuries. Injuries have defined both of these club seasons. Goal scoring has obviously been an issue for Real Madrid. However, they they looked to use their experience to swipe aside Atalanta in the round of 16. And I think you could say Liverpool used their experience in the competition to swipe aside RB Leipzig. So these are two clubs that have beaten two good teams to get here. Two clubs that have a lot of experience in the Champions League. What is your expectation for this rematch? Yeah, I mean, I think this is the matchup of two ailing giants, um, ailing for very different reasons. Madrid, just because their team is just quite old and they haven't found any attacking pieces um, to replace the kind of like BBC era that brought them so many Champions League wins. Liverpool, obviously, not so much having a problem of age, but more poor form all around. And obviously, their defense has been quite dramatically hollowed out. But for both these teams, the Champions League really has offered a bit of a reprieve. That game against Atalanta earlier this week, Madrid played with the type of confidence they don't play with against even, you know, lower league opposition in La Liga. Asensio got on the score sheet, which... I think has been a rarity this year. Vinicius looked like he could dribble about as well as Eden Hazard, although he seems to finish about as well as Eden Hazard does right now, considering he is injured. Um, But I think the Champions League has given both these teams an opportunity to kind of look past some problems they've been having in their domestic campaigns, um, which I think makes this a really tantalizing matchup because somebody has to lose when that team loses, whether it's Madrid or Liverpool, they will have to sort of, you know, face the music a little bit um, and and do some soul searching about where their team goes from here. So I think this is going to be actually a rather low scoring tie, but one where the tension is very exciting to watch. I absolutely agree. This is going to be a tense final i think there's a lot of players on this liverpool team that are going to take this tie pretty personally i can think of one egyptian in particular that i think is going to take this rematch very personally mo salah obviously was subjected to a horrendous challenge in the 2018 final by sergio ramos and he had to be withdrawn with an injury in that game adam milana obviously came on so i think there's there's some deep wounds that still remain from that 2018 final. Obviously, Liverpool have won the Champions League since then, but I think this could be sort of the, especially considering Liverpool might not finish in the top four 
in the Premier League this season, this could be the season-defining moment in a pretty horrendous season for Liverpool in 2021. I feel like if they could get by Real Madrid, they will have that feather in their caps for this season. And and that is a that would be a real achievement for a team that has gone through so many struggles mentally and as well with injuries. I think the big question is Nat Phillips and Ozan Kabak have really started to develop a strong partnership at the back for Liverpool. But Karim Benzema has been in outstanding form this season, looking like one of the most intelligent strikers in Europe in the game. Are Phillips and Kabak going to be up to the task to defend against one of the best strikers in the world? I think that's a huge question. However, I do think Liverpool will be uniquely motivated <laughs> once Mo Salah sees Sergio Ramos. I think the fire will light in his eyes. I don't really know what to expect from this game. I think Liverpool certainly need goals from their front three. I think Diogo Jota is going to be incredibly key. Sew the pieces together between Salah and Mane, whose form has been a little bit questionable over the past two weeks. I think this is definitely a winnable tie for Liverpool, just considering you know the fact that we've started to see them rebound in the league and in the Champions League. You can't count out Real Madrid. They are the most experienced side in this competition and in the champions league experience counts for quite a bit i also think there's another storyline here which is you know there's been some talk of whether mo Salah wants to leave the club and and madrid have been one of the potential suitors uh that have been you know bandied about in the press and so there's a strange sense that this could also be a bit of an audition uh for him as well. So th- I think this is a very satisfying tie, both historically, and I think it would be a satisfying tie on the pitch, even though I don't expect it to be particularly explosive in terms of the goal counts. I also think, you know, and maybe we can get into this after we talk about the Porto-Chelsea tie, you know, they are in the part of the bracket at this point where the winner of this tie will play the winner of Porto Chelsea and the winner of that tie will be in the Champions League final. And I think it's safe to say that this is the easier half of the Champions League bracket to be in. So the winner of this game could very well be considered a presumptive favorite to be in the final itself, which is obviously, you know, no small achievement. You know, now that we've mentioned it, we can talk a little bit about FC Porto versus Chelsea. Porto, of course, having slain Cristiano Ronaldo's Juventus in fairly convincing fashion. Chelsea, the rejuvenated juggernaut under Thomas Tuchel. Can the underdogs, really the only, I think, smaller club left in the Champions League right now, slay another giant, Nick? No. I don't think they're going to be able to lay a glove on this Thomas (laughs) Tuchel-Chelsea team. I just think I've been so impressed with the way that Thomas Tuchel has come in and reinvented the way that Chelsea play in such a short amount of time with defensive possession, you know, the dynamic breakaways, I think getting the best out of Timo Werner and Hakim Ziyech and Kai Havertz, especially who I think had another pretty good outing against Atletico Madrid in that sort of number nine false nine role up top. I just think, you know, Porto, they played one of the most spectacular games you'll ever see in your life in that second leg against Juve. I think they'll need another one of those performances uh, to even 
contend with a Chelsea team that looks so sturdy defensively. Obviously, only two goals conceded in all competitions under Thomas Tuchel. They have so much depth that they can pull from from the bench. They have so many different starting 11s that they can put out. N'Golo Conte looks like the world-class player we all know he is or he was. You know, and maybe Frank Lampard wasn't getting the best out of him. And Thomas Tuchel certainly looks like he's rejuvenated Conte into being probably the premier defensive midfielder in all of Europe. Uh, against Atleti, I, I could have sworn there was three of him on the pitch <laughs> at once. It was inc- honestly incredible. I, I was um, unbelievable what Tuchel has done with Chelsea. And to be honest, Caleb, I think there is some some 2012 vibes going on here at Chelsea, you know, where they bring in a new coach and that just might propel them to the Champions League final this season. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the the 2012 comparison kind of ends there though because I think that team was kind of a shambles in terms of its squad and Roberto Di Matteo very improbably won that final really on the back of the sheer clutch brilliance of Didier Drogba and the profligacy of Mario Gomez in a game that ended his Bayern career functionally. Right. They won't have to deploy Ryan Bertrand (laughs) in any Champions League ties. Right. And like, no offense to Ryan Bertrand, but. But the question is, is Marcus Alonso the 2021 version of 2012 Ryan Bertrand, Caleb? And I think that is a pertinent question, especially considering, you know, some of the outcasts seemingly that were at, at Chelsea under Lampard coming into the forefront under Tuchel, like Christensen, like Alonso, like Rudiger. I think what Tuchel has done has essentially said, I am not coming in with that many preconceptions about this team, and I want you to demonstrate to me who deserves to get time, right? So like Chilwell, just because you were brought in for 50 million doesn't mean that you have that left back spot sewn up. Same thing with some of the center backs. It's hurt players like Christian Pulisic, um, who, you know, went from being a a bit of a darling of Lampard to being a bit on the outside looking in, although he did have a a fairly good assist against Atletico Madrid. But I think there is a sense of internal competition at Chelsea that is driving part of their success as well. And while I think it might boil over this summer as people are just dissatisfied with their minutes, at least in terms of battling for a Champions League, it can only be a good thing right now. So likewise with you, I do not think Porto are going to get within a shout of this Chelsea team because Juventus are kind of a mess positionally under Pirlo and they're way too reliant on the individual brilliance of a 36-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, So I think this tie will get sewn up pretty early on in that first leg, leading to a tantalizing matchup with Real Madrid, who don't meet up with Chelsea that often in the Champions League, to my memory, um, or Liverpool, who are obviously a major domestic opponent. Domestic opponent and European opponent, Caleb. If you yeah. remember, like Liverpool and Chelsea have a storied history in the Champions League, stemming all the way back to that epic 2005 semifinal before... Mm a final in Istanbul, which we know what happened there. So perhaps there's a bit of destiny on Mm. the side of this bracket 
Mm. We shall see, obviously, the final being contested in Istanbul, one of the most famous, one of the venue for perhaps the most famous European comeback of all time in 2005. So wait, maybe before we move on to our next topic of conversation in the Europa League, do you want to give your, your brief way too soon who's going to win these ties? I think we're going to see the Man City Bayern semifinal and i think it's going to be so good that it's going to burn our eyes and we're never going to be able to watch another game of soccer again and i also think that we are going to see liverpool versus chelsea a domestic rivalry renewed in europe maybe another ghost goal we'll see maybe tiago alcantara this time instead of luis garcia (laughs) will score a a Spanish ghost goal for Liverpool. But I definitely think that Liverpool look look like they have some stuff figured out, especially with Fabinho in midfield. It'll be be a massive test for them against Real Madrid and a massive test of their resiliency and their form. However, I do think they, they have enough to get by a Madrid team that I don't know if they can score enough goals against against Liverpool. My my first intuition is is to agree with you. But I think Madrid are going to beat Liverpool. I have learned my lesson enough times about betting against Real Madrid in the Champions League. I think Benzema alone is going to do enough uh, to win this tie for them. But I am looking forward to pretty much all of these ties, which is probably the first time I can say that in several years. The balls have spoken in a very good way uh, in 2021. Well, we were going to segue into the Europa League, but I don't think we can do that without first talking about the astonishing scenes that we saw yesterday in Dinamo Zagreb versus Tottenham Hotspur. Obviously, Caleb, we discussed in our last podcast the absurd situation involving the Zagreb manager, who is, of course, taken to prison this week. uh, Following a financial scandal in which he was found to be personally profiting off of club transfers the club in absolute disarray going into this uh draw against or going into the second leg against tottenham two nil down and Miroslav orsic fires in a hat trick and propels dinamo zagreb past tottenham one of the biggest managerial l's jose Mourinho has has taken thus far in his career perhaps the greatest managerial loss of his career Tottenham have been listless for quite a while now. They put in a stinker in the North London Derby, and this was an even worse performance from Tottenham. A couple bad items have fallen out uh, after this game. Obviously, Mourinho had a sort of spectacular post-match interview that I, I recommend you all go watch, as did Hugo Lloris, who said that you know everyone associated with that disaster on the pitch, all 11 players, uh, deserve to be, you know, deserve to be feeling really bad about it. <laughs> and also, he said that he 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 made the accusation of his teammates that when they're not in the starting eleven, they don't care enough essentially about the team, and they switch off. And there's not enough desire and fight in this squad anymore. And I think we've seen this a couple times now, Caleb from Tottenham in the last embers of the Pochettino era. You know, when they were losing at home to Bayern Munich by like 7-3 score lines. We saw a bit of a bounce back under Jose where they believed in this project. However, I think 
you can put a lot of the blame on Jose Mourinho here, and I do. That is an element. You know, his man management has not been great for the squad. But I think there is also an element of these players, both under Pochettino and under Mourinho, have shown that they've just gotten really comfortable. Comfortableness is not where you want to be in a tie like this. This this was one of the most disastrous results in soccer in my lifetime. This, honestly, like, obviously this is, you know, Europa League, so who really cares that much? But no, this is the equivalent of the 7-1 Brazil-Germany game for Tottenham Hotspurs. How do you go into a second leg tie up two goals when the other team has not scored an away goal? And essentially all you need is one shitty little goal to end the tie because then Zagreb would need to score four in order to win. And they couldn't do it. And yes, Mourinho is obviously a problem here. He was a problem in the North London Derby last weekend. He's a problem in general in that he only takes credit when his team is succeeding and takes no credit at all, or responsibility rather, when they fail. But honestly, put Mourinho aside. When I look at the starting 11 that Tottenham Hotspur put out, Hugo Lloris, Ben Davies, Eric Dyer, Dobinson Sanchez, Serge Aurier, Musa Sissoko, Harry Winks, Lucas Moura, Deli Ali, Eric Lamella, Harry Kane. All of those players have gobs of Premier League experience. It's not like he put out like a youth squad to like end the tie in order to, you know, get some minutes for, you know, Tanganga, for instance. No, this was all first team players. And the fact that none of them could find a single goal is embarrassing, even if they received zero tactical instruction from Jose Mourinho. So I think Hugo Lloris, who's obviously a lot closer to this than I am, must be correct in that the players just do not care. And that is unacceptable, even if they don't like Mourinho, even if they're upset with how many minutes they're getting. This is just an embarrassing result that they have to take a lot of responsibility for too. Like, honestly, I I can't even make sense of how this could possibly happen. Um, And so, yeah, it's just, it's really disappointing um, for all the players involved. And yeah, you can't just explain it away by, by pinning it on Mourinho. And here's the thing we learned after the match when people were like, Oh, maybe now, you know, Mourinho should get sacked because this is just unacceptable performance levels. But it seems like there isn't really a, opt-out clause for Tottenham in his contract. So if they did decide to terminate him, they would have to pay him pretty much full freight for what they owe him through 2023, which, you know, is some like 30 or 40 million euros. So the point being is I think Mourinho is here to stay. And so these players, as much as they hate it, need to figure themselves out really, really fast because Things aren't really going to change at the managerial level, which means whether they like it or not, they need to start changing a little bit. I agree. And I think it's always interesting after Spurs collapse in this way, you know, whether it be in the Champions League final, whether it be in a game like this, whether it be in the Premier League. I think it's always interesting where some people say, 
you know, a team needs to come in and save Harry Kane because Harry Kane, a world-class striker, you know, doesn't deserve to be, you know, losing games in this manner. And my response to that would be, you know, maybe Harry Kane deserves to be playing at a higher level, but Harry Kane also needs to show us that he deserves to be playing at a higher level. Like, where was Harry Kane, both in this game and in the North London Derby, aside from, you know, the last 10 minutes of that game where his free kick clatters against the post? Harry Kane, one of the best strikers in the world, tends to, to, in my opinion, be one of the least accountable players in this Tottenham team. And that, in order for, for them to turn their fortunes around, that has to change. That has to change. You need your best players to be your most accountable players on the pitch. And I think, you know, it's very telling what Lloris said about the mentality of the squad. I urge you to go seek out his comments if you haven't done so already. I think they're, they were really candid and honest. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for, for saying that stuff in the media and airing that all out. And you could clearly tell he, this, he, he had reached a boiling point. I completely agree with you, Caleb, that regardless of what you think about Mourinho, and I, I definitely think that, you know, as we have discussed, he's not exactly the type of fit for this Tottenham team that that clearly needed a not just like another hand to come in and try and steady the ship. It might have needed a full rebuild if they were going to sack Pochettino, which I th- I still think was a bit premature at the time, even though Mourinho did seem to have a really good three months where it was all clicking. But now it's just not clicking. Now it's turned into a bit of a disaster. It's been reported that Jose Mourinho didn't speak to the squad following the game and their trip back to London. So that rift between him and Tottenham seemingly is getting worse and worse. And I, I agree, there's no break laws in this contract, so I can't see Levy forking over the millions it's going to take to sack him and, and find a new manager. So they are stuck between a rock and a hard place. And this is one of the more embarrassing defeats, especially, and this is my favorite aspect of the defeat Joe Hart's social media team <laughs> obviously the Tottenham goalkeeper the backup goalkeeper put out on his Instagram the scoreline the 3-0 scoreline to Zagreb with the words job done <laughs> seemingly thinking that Tottenham had progressed uh, it turns out that his social media team uh, didn't watch the game or whoever was in charge of his social media that day didn't watch the game and put out that that statement on his Instagram story. Joe Hart had to come out and publicly apologize today. <laughs> so that was an incredibly Spursy moment. Another incredibly Spursy moment was that Tottenham legend, supposedly, Luka Modric, only congratulated Zagreb following this game. Obviously, you know, Zagreb homegrown player, but his allegiance was clearly for his Croatian team and not the team that turned him into a global superstar, which is a bit of an L for Tottenham. But yeah, Caleb, I think we're on the same page here in regards to, you know, maybe what the future holds for Spurs. Yeah, I think I think we're very much on the same page being, yes, Mourinho has his problems, but frankly, this is an embarrassment that reflects poorly on everyone at this club. And honestly, could not Ben have fundamentally a managerial issue. This was a player basic do I care issue and yes the manager plays a part in that but 
have some respect for your own career, honestly, and, and try to beat a team that you are well on your way to beating. And as you said, too, Harry Kane does not escape the net of responsibility here. And I think I am getting a little tired of people explaining away Spurs poor performance and lamenting that Harry Kane is stuck there when Harry Kane being the striker being supposedly one of the most prolific scorers in the world is acutely responsible when they don't score against opposition who have literally no name talent the only person in this Zagreb 11 I recognize is Kevin Teofield Catherine who was briefly a France U21 player and played in Ligue 1 for a while there's no one else in this team who who I really know anything about. So it's not like there was some crazy young Croatian talent in this squad that you know everyone wants their hands on. This was a very fine Zagreb team facing their own internal problems that Brazilian internationals, English internationals, Argentinian internationals, French internationals, Colombian internationals, Welsh internationals could not surpass. And I think that kind of says it all. Right. And all credit to Dinamo Zagreb, who, you know, this probably has been an extremely tumultuous week for them and their players. And they, not to just use this cliche, they absolutely wanted it more and they got it. You know, some of the goals that they scored in this game were brilliant, particularly that final goal from Orsic, that mazy run and a shot from outside the box. And I think, you know, you saw what it meant to them at the full-time whistle. I think their performance was superb. They nullified Tottenham everywhere, even though Tottenham were a bit listless. And I think they absolutely deserved to go through on the balance of this game. And I'm eager to see what they do throughout the rest of the competition. Shall we speak a little bit about these Europa League draws for a few minutes before we go? Yeah, I think we can just highlight them quickly. And I think what you'll see when we talk about them is this is a competition that Mourinho probably had his eye on as being a winnable trophy, perhaps, for Tottenham. So to not be here now is, you know, especially sour as, as they continue. But yeah, we can briefly go down them. First off, we have Spanish upstarts from the south of Spain, Granada versus Ole Gunnar Manchester United. I mean, yeah, this is a massive get for Granada. I think, you know, they're probably going to go down swinging in this game. I think United have a little bit too much quality for them. But if you're a Granada fan and you told them, you know, when they were relegated a few years ago, that they would come back up to La Liga. And not only would they come back up to La Liga, but in a few years, they would be playing a two-legged tie against Manchester United. That is huge, you know, if you're a Granada fan and if you are, you know, involved with the club in any way. So I think this is massive for Granada, a very winnable tie for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Manchester United, who honestly have a pretty good path to this Europa League final. Yes, and also a big win for what's the family that owns Granada and Watford and Udinese? The Pozzo family? Yes, this is a huge, huge coup for them as well. I'm not sure which of those three teams you would have predicted to make it to the last eight at the Europa League first, but here we are. And I agree. I think Man U just have a little too much quality. Part of me hopes that it's a little bit like 
oh, I forget exactly what year it was when Bill Bow played Manchester United in one of Ferguson's final years and they beat them 5-4. Um, that may have been when Bielsa was in charge of Bilbao as well. I don't think Granada have the same quality or the same coaching. So I'm not expecting that. But part of me hopes that this can be another tilting at windmills uh, kind of event in, in world soccer. Next up, we have Arsenal versus Slavia Prague, who I think their public perception has gone down quite a bit after you know the incidents of their match against Rangers. Nick, frame, frame this tie for us and, and the team Arsenal play. Yeah, I think obviously they went through after a eventful game, to say the least, yesterday against Rangers. A crazy red card from Kimar Roof, who absolutely just took out their goalkeeper in violent and spectacular fashion. Deserved to get sent off. Probably deserves more than a two-game ban for that challenge. Uh, but obviously the game was dampened a little bit by an allegation of racism from Rangers midfielder Glenn Kamara. His account says that he was racially abused by one of the Slavia players towards the ends of the game. Steven Gerrard came out today vehemently backing his man, so we'll see you know, what path that takes. Arsenal have plenty of quality to get through here. I think the real trap, though, is that Prague really do not concede that many goals, and Arsenal are going to have to work hard to fashion chances against them. I think they just have a bit too much for Prague. I think if you're an Arsenal fan, you're probably really happy with this draw. And also, if Villarreal get through their tie, we could see Unai Emery mm. returning to the Emirates mm. in yes. a good evening rematch. <laughs> good evening. Good evening. Yes, I I think that Arsenal will get through here. Um, in what will be another kind of silver lining part of the season. Prague are are a bit of a stubborn side, but Arsenal have a little too much talent uh, to really let this opportunity pass. Um, Next, I think we have potentially the most interesting or the, yeah, the most interesting tie of the Europa League draw, which is Ajax versus Roma, the Dutch juggernauts super team versus a Roma side that has a lot of quality, but doesn't really seem to know how to deploy it exactly, um, which I think will make for a rather exciting game. Henrik Mkhitaryan for Roma is approaching double-digit goal and assists. He's probably going to get that uh, coming into this game. You look at Ajax, their squad right now is good. I don't think it's good enough to get past Roma, you know, a team with a lot of experienced European quality in it who have been to the echelons of the Champions League and Europa League finals and stuff like that. You know, Pedro, really experienced player. Edin Dzeko, really experienced player. So I think it will be tough for them. There's going to be a lot of goals in this tie. You know, Ajax have scored a lot of goals in the Europa League. I think Dusan Tadic always shows up, puts on a masterful performance in ties like these when he absolutely needs to. I don't know who's going to go through here. Uh, if I was to place a bet on it, I think Roma just have a little bit too much quality for Ajax and a little bit too many pieces that they can throw at them. However, I do think this is going to be an incredibly high-scoring tie. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Roma have to be considered favorites here. I think it's a fun thought experiment, though, to think about how we might approach analyzing this game different if someone like Hilaire was actually, you know, available <laughs> for Ajax. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, obviously we talked about this a few months ago, but Ajax, you know, spent, I think it was a club record fee, right, to bring in Sebastian Hilaire from West Ham. And then they forgot to put him in the Europa League team inexplicably. And so it would be a real shame for Ajax to go down in this tie and struggle to score for some instance, knowing that they're pretty much their best player is unavailable, you know, by their own hand. So just a fun little storyline to watch um, here. The final tie. I actually just got yeah. a text okay. from the composer of our theme song, <laughs> William Tell. Uh-huh. We were talking about some of these ties. Yeah. And the text, no joke, that he just sent me reads, don't sleep on Ajax. <laughs> so you heard it here first. Don't sleep on Ajax. But I agree with you, Caleb, about you know the quality of Roma coming into this game. But uh, please continue. Yes. And so the final, the final tie of the Europa League quarterfinals is of course Zagreb who we just talked about against Villarreal um, who have quietly put together a very very good team that while it has not led to a bunch of wins in La Liga has a lot of just good components in it and I think have not gotten the plot it says Granada because they're a bigger team but are definitely a very dangerous team left in this tournament. So if Zagreb win the Europa League does that mean their manager gets out of jail? Is that how the justice system works? Is that how the Europa League justice system uh, functions? Does that, or that does he get mean? more time because he hasn't been punished? Ooh, maybe. Maybe his, uh, his punishment is making us watch the Europa League. Uh, regardless, I think Villarreal go through here. I really want to see Unai Emery uh, return to the Emirates for that uh, <laughs> that reunion between his new club and his old club. Gerard Moreno has been, I think, you know, not a revelation because I think a lot of people knew about his quality coming into the season. But I think this is probably his most consistent campaign in all competitions. I think he's someone that Zagreb is going to have a lot of difficulty dealing with. And I think you talk about people who know the Europa League. Unai Emery is very familiar with the Europa League. Unai Emery, you know, this is like one of those situations where like you go on a business trip, you know, maybe to Cancun or something. Like it's a company retreat. And you know, you might, you might've gotten a promotion to the Champions League. However, you go to, you go to Cancun on this business trip and you know, you hook up with the same stewardess. Oh God. And that, that is like the situation that Unai Emery has found himself in. With the Europa League, you know, someone who no matter how hard he tries to get away from it, it always seems to fall back on his lap in times like these. And I think Unai Emery could be looking at, you know, another successful run in this competition. Just for my sake, what in this metaphor is the Europa League stewarding? It's, you you make a great point, kid. Perhaps it is stewarding, you know, the hopes and dreams of of all of these clubs. Of like sixth place clubs. To seek passage 
uh-huh, uh-huh. to the Champions League next season. Okay, week. excellent. Okay, I can work with that. But but yes, I think Emery is the king of the Europa League, and I think he has a squad with players like Gerard Moreno, Paco Alcacer, even an aging Carlos Baca, young players like um, Samuel Chacuese, but also experienced midfielders that they just pillaged from Valencia uh, in, <laughs> in, you know, Danny Parejo and, and Coquelin. So I think this team is is very well-rounded um, and is not marred by the sort of temperamental fluctuations that a, a team like Spurs clearly are. So I think the, the Emery reunion with Arsenal seems very, very much on the cards. But maybe we should just end the show here. We hope yeah. you've enjoyed our Champions League and Europa League preview with a little bit of Tottenham thrown in in between. That has been Europe, the soccer competition, not the band. But we surely are on a final countdown to the last stages of knockout football in the 2021 season. Ladies and gentlemen, I have been Nick Vinden, Caleb Brids, and we will see you all next time.